As we rewind once more, one month ago, back to when everyone was departing in their separate canoes for their separate islands, as Vamak, Mick, and Relandir have their last moment before stepping offshore. Vamak, being able to sense where the others are at, he just kind of moves his head towards each of them, gives them a little nod, no words spoken, and he steps on the canoe. Relandir's canoe is a bit larger than the others, with a few extra passengers of Crayley children. As the canoe sets off, it takes a good while, probably an hour or two, at least to the point where the main island is well out of sight over the horizon before you arrive at your destination. An island of seemingly similar size, but much different geographical features. The starkest of which is a large, almost volcanic-looking structure, smack dab in the middle. The village of these Crayley seems to be situated right on the shore. And so when your canoe stops, everyone is quick to disembark, lug off their different materials and packs and whatnot, and the children spring to their feet and laugh and clap, and then quickly hush themselves as they give backwards glances to you, Rolandir before making their way quickly into the village with the rest of the Crayley. Upon arriving and seeing this new setting, Rolander casts a studying gaze at this volcanic structure a little bit further off past the village, and then disembarks from the boat, and first and foremost begins to go and see if he can find where his accommodations are. The Crayley that you came in with Though they don't, like, go out of their way to beckon to you or address you, they're probably your best and first bet. And you do find with them a larger hut, multiple rooms, and a room that has been prepared all for yourself. Rolander at this point is just going to sit down on the bed and kind of just think through exactly what lays ahead of him. He picks up just a small item off the ground, a rock that might have been sitting in the corner, and just kind of tosses it between his hands, turning it over as he's contemplating what he hopes to get out of this next month. And then he stands, and he exits. And he's just going to start walking as much as he can, whether there's a carved-out path or not, towards this uh, volcanic structure off in the distance past the village. You do work your way northward out of the village, along a path that after a while, turns into something reminiscent of a game trail, and then finally just full-on underbrush, and this black rock in the distance you still can't see clearly through the trees in front of you, and only barely through the canopy above, so you're still a quite a hike away. Why don't you roll survival? That is a 21. You find the most efficient path through the jungle, avoiding danger and the like, until you reach the base of this, what you assume to be volcanic structure. And as he's been walking, has it been fairly forested or vegetation-rich, just kind of all these things? It is dense jungle, and it's denser the closer you come to this mountain. Okay, and even further as it goes up, or does there come a point where it just cuts off and becomes like sheer rock? No, basically, once you reach the mountain proper, there's like low brush and shrubs like moving upward, and then nothing for probably a good two-thirds of its side. 
that's just this kind of rough, slick, or igneous rock. Rolander's going to start climbing as best he can. Roll athletics. Whew, hot dang. All right, that is a nat 20 for a 30 total. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's freaking running up this thing. You barely break a sweat once you reach the summit, and you do see there is a bit of a caldera that's collapsed in on itself. This was perhaps an active volcano time and time ago, but is no longer. And if you'd like, you could even work your way down into the caldera without you know expending any additional energy or time. Yeah, yeah, he does so. He he's just going to look and roughly position himself where he feels is you know the the very center of this volcanic now kind of crater up at the top. Yeah, it does like crater and then come up into a little knob point in the middle. Okay, he'll sit on that. And what do you do? So sitting, taking a cross-legged position, Rylander's just going to sit there for a good amount of time, reaching into whatever valleys of himself that he can find any sense of intent or essence or any feeling of this new higher power that he's been learning about from the Cray Lee. Really, you know, not even looking for it in the surroundings themselves, but just feeling out there for anything he can. All right. Is there any specific effect you're trying to elicit? Particularly, he's trying to feel if there's still life in this volcano. Cool. Using true intent. Yes. All right. Uh, then let's do a true intent roll as you reach inside your valleys. Remind me again how that works. Roll two D100s. All right. First D100 roll is 43. The second one is 21. And do I add anything to either of those? I don't, right? No, you don't. As you reach out with all your might and mind, you find yourself slipping back into old magics. Regular intent, as you learned it, and even older spells from your time in the old world. And your mind is a bit clouded over as you try to access this true intent, and you glean no knowledge from the volcano or your surroundings. In fact, you're left with a bit of a haze that a lesser being would probably get angered by. Just this cloud in your mind. Oh, he's angry. <laughs> Frustrated, we'll say. He, uh, he'd he actually been carrying this stone with him that he brought from the outside of his room. And he gives that a toss over into the corner of this valley, as far as he can, at least. And he stands and harumphs a bit. And he's going to walk back. He's going to walk back to, to the village. Yeah, you climb and claw your way out of the caldera much less gracefully than you entered. The hike down, though easier, seems not so. And it is nightfall before you even reach the village borders. The rest of the Kraley have gone to bed. It's probably well past midnight by the time you finally get back inside the house that you were assigned to. He scrounges around for, you know, whatever food or water that he can find, and then he's going to collapse in bed. And that will be the end of your first day. Rolandir wakes up the next day, and he's determined. He walks outside, he picks up another stone, and he makes the trek again to the mountain, up the mountain, into the caldera, and onto the small little raised part in the middle. And once again, maybe not with this stone in particular, but 
looking around and feeling for the parts of Earth around him that potentially may have been caused by any sort of volcanic activity. He's trying to now feel within those if there is still any remembrance of the life of the volcano using true intent. Then I think it's time for (laughs) another true intent roll. All right, that is a four and an 80. All right, you feel even more disconnected (laughs) from the material and immaterial world than you did the day before. Your ears ring as you come out of this attempt, and as you try to stand, you nearly tumble over. Rolandir has this strange recollection of when he was formerly a Scourge Asimar and when he would feel, you know, the sense of anger and frustration and the the heat that would well inside him. It's not real. It's almost like kind of this phantom memory, but he, he feels that now as he once again tosses the stone in his hands off into the distance. Okay. Rolander's going to repeat this. Every day is a sort of ritual. He'll pick up a stone, walk his way to the mountain, and attempt to feel for the life inside of it. And he will continue to do this, really avoiding contact, honestly, with the Kraley around him. He eats in solitude, doesn't even, you know, he will try to go out of his way to displace himself from any place if there are other Kraley around him. And he wants to feel the mountain. He wants to feel the volcano. Roll a D... 10. Three. Okay. After a week, as you're sitting on the caldera, roll a true intent roll. All right. A 17 and a 47. Every single day you've come up here for the last week, since the day you arrived, you've been met with this stupefying haze that clouds your brain, dulls your senses, and draws up this phantom fire and anger from your past until today where finally, finally you feel an inkling of a pulse beneath you. Something in the stone that you've never felt before, and something that isn't a physical sensation. And it's from the, like, stone that he's holding, or just from... From the stone that you're sitting on, uh, from the volcano. Ah. Rolandier jumps up at this. He, he feels the warmth, and it's somewhat surprising to him, especially after the, the week of disappointing experiences. And he focuses in on exactly what that feeling was. And he's going to dive a little bit deeper. And he's going to try to... He wants to understand it a little better. He wants to feel what that warmth is. Do Why don't you just do like a, a nature check for me? Nature check? Uh, that is an eight. The knowledge, just the base knowledge of this eludes you. Whatever processes dictate these kind of geological formations or their inner workings, Rolandier has no clue about. Makes sense. He he ain't no geologist. (sighs) All right. Then he is going to quickly, running if he can handle over the terrain, head back to the village in search of some sort of digging tool, whether a shovel, a pickaxe, Anything he can find, a bucket, if if needs be. He's going to run back and see if he can scrounge up something like that. You are able to, but it is already sundown by the time your efforts conclude and you're able to locate something. He will pick it up, grab some food and a sack, and take a candle or a torch or something, and he's going to run back to the mountain. 
you arrive at the mountain probably just after midnight and are able to set up a little camp inside the caldera, but are honestly fatigued by this point. He's going to start digging, and he's just, he is digging with all the strength that he knows how he, you know, he's, he's taken back to kind of the raw physical strength of just carrying things around on Kilnaeus's ship in Vale's realm, and he's going to dig for a good while, pretty much until he exhausts himself, and he needs to, to take a break. You're going to take one level of exhaustion. All right. And let's say, roll a d4. All right, I got a two. So you persist for two hours into the early, early morning before you're wiped out. Okay, then he'll get under rest. Same thing. He'll wake up. He'll do his routine. If he needs to collect more food, he will return to the village to do so. But he is he is now digging down into this mountain. And as he's doing so, he'll take time every day before and after he digs to reconnect with it. And this time... He is trying to reinvigorate the life of the mountain. Okay. Roll a d8. Also a two. All right. You spend another week about digging. You're about halfway through your month of isolation that you've dug into the caldera of a volcano. And as your shovel strikes into the dirt at the end of this second week, a jet of hot gas escapes and you roll a dexterity saving throw. Uh that's going to be 15. All right. You are able to kind of just skirt out of the way just in time as this jet of gas melts some stone or like sizzles some rock right at the base of where it was ejected and sends your shovel flying into the air. It dissipates quickly, though, and as you continue to kind of kneel down and push some dirt aside and inspect it, you find a lattice of hollowed-out sections underneath that you can kind of begin to excavate. But obviously, you've reached some sort of natural formation where escaping heat or gases have carved into the mountain upward from below. At this point, Rolander's not going to dig any further with the shovel. Instead, he is now using kind of that fueling remembrance that he has of just this celestial light that was at once inside him, that just was desiring, urging to burst out of him, pretty much disintegrate him. He's channeling that same desire, almost in like an empathetic type way, to whatever is pushing these vapors, these gases, up through the mountain, whether that be magma, whether that just be, you know, true geothermal heat and energy. But he's trying to channel that to call it, to bring it up and have it burrow the rest of the way through to him where these gases are escaping. With true intent? Yes. All right. True intent roll. It is a 96 and a 25. You feel it. You feel these channels these pathways and for a split second you can almost see air moving through the earth beneath your feet these streams of molten rock miles below and then like blink and it's gone but for a split second you felt connected to it but you in no way were under the impression that you could manipulate it Rolander's going to pack up his things and he's going to leave the mountain going to head back to his room. And he stays there the remainder of the two weeks. 
He looks up at the mountain every day. And by night, he finds himself dreaming of just pillars of this, these molten rivers that he saw erupting out of this mountain. And every day, he looks up, kind of calling back the shadows of these images. And as much as he might want to try to bring forth these huge, colossal powers of nature and earth out of it, he never tries to do that. But instead, he does try as he's walking along, and he kind of finds himself now being a little bit more personable with the Kraley, even though they don't speak to him. He joins them in some of their day-to-day tasks. But he finds himself at night meditating, and by way of that, doing some exercising of true intent to see if he can find where this path of molten lava might be going, and if he can find maybe a new stone that it has created and that he could take back with him when he returns home. Then it is the last day of your isolation, the final hours, and it's just you waiting on the dock as your teacher alone rows a little canoe over to the island in the early morning. And stopping and docking, he beckons you inside. Lander follows. And as you embark on your journey back across the sea, he turns every so often, looking at you, but not saying anything. And then finally, with your home island in sight, he says, I hope you found your time enlightening. I think I understand now, at least beginning to, what you meant by separating my want or my will to manipulate things with its will or the want of other things to change themselves. Then this has not all been funny. And with that, Rolander ends his month in isolation. Going back one month in time, as Mick steps aboard a canoe, you are with only one Kraley that takes you across the sea. Actually, not even that far. You can see the Mother Island where you came from, just as like a, uh, not a speck, really a shape on the horizon. You can see lights twinkling from torches and civilization. And you're brought to basically no more than an atoll. It'd take you a good five minutes to walk from one end to the other. There's a small spring of fresh water in the middle. A single tree bearing coconuts. And some bushes and ferns bearing assorted fruits. And there's not even a dock. As the Kraley just rams the canoe up onto the beach in a jostling, jolting sort of way. They get out, unpack a few provisions and whatnots, and begin constructing something of a lean-to that takes them the rest of this first day. I think Mick would see this and the Kraley getting out, and he shares probably before the Kraley gets out a look with him, probably will smile at him, and then sees that he gets out with all of his provisions and started to make, what did you say, a lean? A lean-to. Like a little little makeshift shelter. So, yeah, Mick will see this and get out also with him and kind of get the, the gist that he's starting to make shelter for, uh, I assume, both of us. So Mick isn't going to just sit there. He's going to try to offer his assistance. And so he'll probably say to the Kraley, here, let me, let me help you with that. Though the Kraley does not speak with you, it will gesture vaguely to different tools it requires or 
bits and pieces of the wood that you can help unpack and set to. Like, this isn't a, like, a rudimentary structure. It's quite nice. It's like a camping kit, really, that he's putting together. And as night falls, he lays out some sticks and some tinder and a circle of stones upon the sand, takes a few striking stones, gets something alit, and then takes out the last bit of the provisions that he brought. Fish, both dried and raw, and starts cooking one on a, on a little spit that he constructs. I think that since Mick has come to the island with this Crayley, that he's going to be observing his behavior. So he sees that he's building everything, but does he notice anything else out of the ordinary, maybe? Nothing out of the ordinary, no. Is there anything specific you're looking for? I guess Mick is curious of, okay, how often do the Crayley use real intent? And trying to, from observation, get a perception of that. Roll insight or perception. 24 for insight. At the end of this day, you're pretty confident that it would have taken you and your group maybe an entire day or more to build something of this quality as a combined effort that this Crayley accomplished in half the time and, for all intents and purposes, by themselves. But... Whether true intent was used in the process, this Crayley has done an incredible job at concealing that. So whether something was lighter to it, you couldn't tell. Whether this fire was truly made by sparks or it calling upon the elements, you couldn't tell. I think when the Crayley's making us, I assume both of us, dinner, that Mick is going to kind of break protocol, as he's been told, and will ask the Crayley himself, how do you do that? That would have taken us days to make a structure like this. The Crayley kind of looks up at you, keeps turning the fish on the spit, and then just looks back to the fish. Well, you don't have to answer me, but can you show me? For a brief moment, you see them kind of stop spinning the fish, and then they just keep spinning the fish without paying you more mind. Mick will concede to the fact that this Crayley is not going to interact or talk with them besides provide uh, basic, I don't know, survival things. And so Mick will kind of toss his hands up, lean back, and be like, all right then, allow me to talk. You know, at least for me, I've been trying to get at this true intent as I speak. And I don't know, I've been getting a lot of advice, like maybe... Uh, you have too many attachments. Oh, you, you know, blah, 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 blah. I still don't get it. I'm doing my best. I've managed to use true intent a couple of times. But I just, I, I don't know what I'm missing. You know what I mean? Of course you know what I mean. And he just doesn't really wait for a response and kind of is going <laughs> to continue to talk. So, As you do, the Crayley like takes the fish off the spit chops it in half, like, takes off the skin, plates it, and hands one to you. (laughs) (laughs) Mick is um, going to put a a mouthful, or I mean, gonna get a mouthful of fish in his mouth, and is kind of going to continue to be perplexed in this of, I mean, honestly, uh, if you have any suggestions, I would love it. Just just show me the ropes, or if you could direct me to somebody else, I mean, I would just... uh, I'll get this one day. And then he continues to eat his fish and will probably finish with no interaction, I assume, from the Crayley, so. No, having finished his meal, the Crayley, like, wipes his hands 
and then goes over by the shore, kind of pats out a pe- like a, a section of the sand, lies down, hands under his head, and uh, seemingly goes to sleep. I think that Mick would probably sit there by the fire for a little bit and, until it's completely extinguished. Just thinking about this, too, of what is he missing? Why isn't he able to use true intent the way that he uses what we called intent? So he's going to be thinking about this, and obviously, I assume, no answers or anything like that. I assume that he kind of is just flustered by it. And Mick eventually will get too tired of contemplating this, will go by the Crayley, pat down a bed for himself nearby, um, decently close to, to him, kind of look out on the shore. You could very well see the main island and any activity going on there. Also, the lean-to is unoccupied. Like, It's like a little shelter, like a little half-tent next to the palm tree. I completely forgot that he made that, to be honest. So, we made that. Um, okay, well, Mick is... <laughs> Well, Mick is just going to sit down and look at the shore and kind of observe and wonder about the Crayley and kind of see if anything's going on on the Mother Island, so to speak. So, Okay. I assume nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You, it's impossible to tell from this distance unless there was some kind of festival going on and the Crayley, as I said, seems to be sound asleep. Mick is going to still be kind of perplexed by this mystery that he's learned about so far, but seems that he can't always use real intent or true intent when he wants to. So Mick is going to get up from his seated position and he's going to go into the league too. And go to sleep. Yeah, go to sleep. So Mick is uh, setting out on his second day, is going to explore the island a little bit. And like you said, it's pretty small, right? Oh yeah, five minute walk, one to the other. (laughs) Mick is going to take that five minute walk. Just bear with me. Don't worry, I'll I'll expedite this. But <laughs> And does he notice anything at the ordinary? Not a thing. Everything here is just nature. <laughs> it's just an abandoned atoll. Mick is going to go a little bit towards the is the head of the creek there? Like the beginning of the creek there? There's like a little uh spring. That just begins and ends right there. Okay, well, Mick is going to come back to the shore, actually, and is going to sit down and is is going to give some serious thought about how he can grasp the concepts of the Crayley. And so Mick is going to sit down and he's going to look out onto the ocean and is going to just start to think while he's there. And as he's thinking, he wants to revisit also some of the lessons and the questions that he proposed uh, since he came to the original island. So he's going to get out his his notebook out of his satchel, and he's going to open it to the last page that he wrote something. And there should be written is the questions of what is life? And the second question of what is the meaning of all of this? And so as he sits there, he's going to contemplate and think about that question but he's also going to meditate and and think about the lessons that they've learned particularly the lesson about how the intent or the substance that creates the bird the stone even us is all the same and mick is going to sincerely think about that and actually will meditate on that and this will take mick 
uh, Mick is going to, from the time that he starts meditate, meditate all the way until sundown. Your Crayley friend, and you'll notice this for the rest of the days here, will wake up, do some kind of exercise, and then spend the entirety of the day fishing. We'll usually yield one or two fish, and then we'll cook those fish come sundown. And then promptly go to sleep after dinner. So with Mick noticing this and not really much else, doesn't really see it out of the ordinary, Mick is still going to concentrate his efforts, I would say for several days, on meditating, thinking about how he can grasp the concepts of the Kraley that he's been taught. So I think that he'll meditate for a good amount of time and then... He is, he feels prepared enough that he can finally put his true intent skills to the test. So Mick is going to try something simple first. So Mick is going to look at the coconut tree that the lean-to is on. And he sees a couple of coconuts that are at the top of the tree. And he's going to will it using true intent for the coconut that's at the top of the tree to forcefully drop down to the ground. Make a true intent roll. Roll two D100s. Um, I rolled 34 and 50. Nothing happens. You don't feel the coconut. You don't feel the ground. You don't feel the tree. I think that Mick is going to be a little disheartened by this, especially because he's spent, I'm going to say, a good amount of days just meditating on this, trying to grasp the concepts. So Mick is going to come back to meditation and is going to try to solve what's at the root of him not being able to grasp these concepts and truly practice true intent. As Mick closes his eyes, Mick has a hard time emptying his, his mind of anything besides the concept of the Crayley. And he's reminded of the words and the admonitions from his teacher to free himself of his attachments. So as Mick sits there, as he's meditating, he tries to do just that. He tries to free himself from the attachments that he has, particularly to his current companions, but also to past companions that have fallen. And he tries to concentrate on that. And I think that Mick is going to give that the same effort that he did um, that he did uh, before when he was meditating. So he'll probably spend at least a day or two trying to free himself from attachments. What day does that bring us to? I'd say like day 12. All right. So week and a half in. Yeah. So Mick is going to try his same tests again and is going to try to release from the coconut tree some of the coconuts. Roll. So Mick got a 14 and a 98. As you've spent time to shift your thoughts away from your yourself, away from your attachments, as you again refocus your energy on making the coconut fall, or perhaps not even making it fall, or willing it to fall, but taking in the natural processes that would lead to it falling, and perhaps accelerating those, you feel like the tenuous strength between the coconut and its whatever binds it to the tree, whatever binds it together, and almost by extension, the makeup of the tree. And for this split second, you can see these almost currents of life and energy as the tree absorbs sunlight, as it draws nutrients from the earth, 
and those feed into this growing coconut. And then you blink and it's gone. Mick experiencing this will see that something's going right in him and his exercises for true intent. And we'll get, I mean, I would say probably pretty um, happy about this. that He could feel that. But while he's feeling this current that's going through the tree, he starts to realize something that he he kind of toyed around with before, especially the first time that he practiced true intent, but didn't fully internalize. And so Mick is going to go back to kind of the drawing board of meditation and is going to not focus on freeing his mind from attachment, but instead focusing on seeing as everything attached, as everything as part of each other. And so he's going to spend a few more days on that. So let's say like day 18, he's finally going to feel like he's got a a grasp on this concept of connectivity rather than disconnect. And with that and feeling what he did before with the coconut tree, he is going to actually join his Crayley friend today and is going to join him fishing. And as he does, he is going to concentrate on that connectivity, even that connectivity between the fish that are in the ocean, the ocean itself, and the Crayley that stands beside him. So as Mick does that, he is going to reach out with these tools to fish and is going to try to imagine through his will through the connection to the net, through the connection to the surrounding ocean, and to this fish, as if the fish is going into the net and is going to will it. Through true intent! Alright, roll 2d100s. Mick gets an 86 and an 83. You again glimpse a world beyond your own. You see the currents moving through the water as if they were painted lines. Big brush strokes of some unseen hand. You see the fish moving in schools. You feel, for just this split second, their thoughts, their feelings, these instincts that drive them, and it's overwhelming. It's cacophonous. It's like music, like an orchestra, all being tuned at once, and you're right there in the middle as cymbals crash. Roll a constitution saving throw. Oh, butts. Okay. Mick gets a nine. You pass into unconsciousness. Oh, jeez. When you awake, you see the Crayley at the fire, turning its spit. Though, it definitely doesn't look the same as when you were sitting just next to him before you fell unconscious. And in smelling yourself, uh, you can see that some time has passed as you stink. (laughs) (laughs) There's wet streaks on your face where you assume the Crayley has fed and kept you hydrated and as it turns to you and you turn toward it it raises a single finger tomorrow is your last day on the island <sighs> Mick is just going to you know slowly get up and realize the cost of true intent and what it's practicing it with kind of willy nilly even with the meditation and, and taking it seriously to some extent the cost that it can have on him his life, and also the true magnitude of the power. So the next day, as he awakens, he is going to just become in tune again with the with the earth, but he's going to try his best to fortify himself against 
the effects that he felt before. So with that, he's going to sit down to meditate, but this time practicing true intent to be more in tune with the island that he's on. Roll away. 95 and 5. As you're sitting down, thinking, feeling, reaching, you feel something on your shoulder, a tap, as the Kraley draws your attention and motions to the boat. You look around, noticing that there's no sign of your camp at all. No lean-to, no fire, no footprints. Everything's been packed up and moved into the canoe, and the Kraley then strides over to the beach and pushes it back into the water, beckoning for you to follow. Mick does so, and I think as he does so, he's a little disappointed to an extent that he couldn't do more than he was wishing to, but grateful also that he was able to learn some essential lessons about intent. And as you're paddled away and take one last look at the atoll on this early morning that you're taken from the island where you spent the last month, you see that coconut fall. As Vamak is brought across the ocean to an island about half the size of the main one, far enough away that the main island is just a blob on the distant horizon, it takes about half of that first day to get there. And once you arrive at a small dock, the Kraley that are with you, the two of them, grab their provisions and disembark without a word to you. Vamak does not bother uh, sticking around very long with the Kraley. He kind of lets them do their own thing. Well, they leave the dock and they follow a path quickly out of sight. The village or whatever shelter exists on this island is not directly on the shore and is, seems to be a bit uh, inland. Vumak, as soon as he loses sight, loses sense of these Kraley, he's going to try to spread his awareness as much as he can. He has kind of this general uh, area you know, using like tremor sense that that he kind of used to work with before, but he is trying to expand that and use true intent to do so. Not just like, ah, I can, you know, feel the tremors, but like all of his senses, open all of them. The, the feeling of the ground beneath his feet, the wind currents as they swirl around him, the birds in the sky, all of it. He's just going to try to reach out to all of that and essentially just get lost in it, like lose his sense of self, try to lose the idea of the mock, the idea of what he is, all of his conceptions about that. And he's just going to like essentially try to reach some sort of expanded consciousness. Yeah, something like that by just like trying to reach out uh, to the world and leave himself his own individual self behind. True intent roll? Two D100s. 44 and 59. As Vamak stands at the edge of this island, making this attempt, you can see for a moment. And for one second, you see the world as you used to see it. As if you were looking through the eyes of Vakos. But they're not Vakos's eyes. They're yours. You see color. You see movement, just for one second. And the next second, you see more than color and light and movement. You see sound. You see heat. You see vibrations, as if everything, even in the air, were tremor sense. And then one second later, you see something you don't understand. 
iterations of the same thing, inlaid and overlaid with each other, as if all possible existences were at once in one superposition. And then you have to roll a constitution saving throw or your brain explodes. <laughs> I'll say. Because I'll just say, you got a 44 and a 59, right? Yeah. I got a 43 and a 43. Whoa. Hot diggity dog. That is a 12. Okay. You are brought to a knee as one second normal vision. The second second heightened senses, strange machinations, and the third second reality vision. And then the fourth, you're blind again. And you're brought to your knees as if you have been here for for days. You feel your lips are cracked. Your throat is dry and your stomach growls. And um, why don't you do a nature check for me real quick? That is a 21. And getting back up on your feet, feeling, seeing around as you do, you can tell about three days have passed. Vamak, having taken an inventory of himself, feeling that he is physically drained and he is in need of sustenance, he's going to walk up the path and try to find this little village, try to find this shelter, and hope that they got something for him. It's about a 20-30 minute walk from the shore to the village, and as you reach it, you can feel the Kraley around you and their little structures. The village here is, again, probably about half the size of the one that exists on the mainland. And some of these forms are familiar. You recognize the two that brought you here. And you can feel that there is a room in one of the houses, the one that they reside in, to be specific, that is unoccupied and has, for at least three days, been wholly undisturbed. Vimak, after eating and drinking something and kind of restoring himself and retiring to this room. It, is it towards like the end of this third day? Yes. He is going to sit down on the bed and almost without thinking, his mind is going to kind of recede into itself, start delving into his memories, into his past just kind of parse through the different things, you know, all the the decisions that led him to this point, kind of starting at the beginning, all of the pain that he felt and the pain that he inflicted, any sense of pride or sorrow or joy, any of it, right? And the decisions that he made. And he's it's going to like mentally chart this course. And he's going to compare that to the vision of all of these different possibilities that he saw, like as soon as he stepped onto this island, of all these images superimposed. And he's going to try to realize that, that like everything came together to produce this moment now, but there are infinitely more moments to come. And he's going to try to think about true intent this way rather than trying to impose his will on the world. He's trying to think of things as they will be, as one of many of these options. And as he kind of just gets lost in this daze of thoughts, as he's processing the past and the future, and he's trying to make sense of all this, he's just going to pass out on his bed. And thus ends the third day. The fourth day he gets up, he is going to try to do the same thing that he did on the first day. Um, he's going to try to reach out, except this time he's going to try to be 
perhaps a little bit more constrained in his scope, and he's going to try to influence now what will be, rather than this is my will, but this is what will happen. And he's going to do this by going out into nature. He's going to leave the village behind, and he is just going to find a big rock or a tree or something and he's going to try to find that world that possibility where as he heads directly for it this tree we'll call it a tree this tree will like move out of his path it will no longer be there and it is not a small tree this is like the biggest tree he can find he's not over here like ah a sapling he's like get me the biggest california redwood that can be sustained on an island (laughs) It might just be a palm tree, but, you know, like, he's he's kind of looking for something that's a little bit bigger. All right. Roll two D100s. 78 and 71. As you are concentrating on this tree, as you are willing it to move, just completely displace itself from your path, you take one step and you can see through your tremor sense the tree... 10 feet in front of you, blocking your path, blocking your way, and then you take another step and you run right into the tree and hit your head. Vamak, at first stunned, right, because he hits this tree, um, you know, he takes a second to kind of right himself, but he sees kind of the small victory in this, because unless he took a 10-foot step back there, something happened. Looking back and gaining your bearings... It is as if in one step you moved the rest of the 15 feet, uh, just like blinking in an instant next to the tree. The tree remains unmoved. Vamak feels a a bit of joy at this, like a a sense of accomplishment. He is actually really enjoying the solitude uh, because he can just explore these things and do these things without having to worry about impressing anybody, without having to worry about what he's showing, right? His outward appearance, any projection of strength or posturing. He doesn't even worry about his own physical appearance. He's totally embraced his his misshapen form. He it, Honestly, he doesn't really mind it, right? Again, because nobody's around. And every day thereafter, he's going to spend maybe the first, I don't know, couple hours or something meditating, trying to reach out, broaden his own mental horizons, connect to the world at large and lose himself as he did on that first day. And then he's going to go around and he's going to try a variety of things um, using true intent. Like he, he feels like he's getting a bit of steam and he's going to try to run with that. You know, one day he's going to try to connect with the air and see himself as part of that air connected to that air and, you know, pick out that future in which he travels along the air with it. You know, another day he'll try to cleft a rock into a massive boulder, find that that future, that eventuality where what was once one solid boulder has now become two halves, all sorts of stuff like that. And he's going to be doing that every day as much as he can. He'll exhaust himself. He's kind of enjoying it. He's found kind of this passion for, for trying these things away from everybody. He doesn't even seek out like any sort of, I don't know, companionship or anything. He hasn't summoned Vakos at all. He'll eat a fish from the Kraley and then head back out. Great. Roll a d12. 11. You spend 22 days doing just that. 
Rad. And on the 26th day, what are you trying to accomplish? Vamok goes to the beach, walks out on the pier, and he is going to try to walk on water. Okay, roll a d100. That's a 53 and a 36. Vamok confidently takes a step off of the pier and falls straight down into the water. This ice-cold shock to your system. He comes up, gasps for air, you know, as the air was forced out of his lungs from the sudden chill. In, in sort of a, a, a surreal moment of awareness for him, he realizes that he's, that he's like, feeling, you know, that he's the, the cold water, right, and then the air filling his lungs. And for the first time in probably, let's say, 30 years, he's going to laugh. He's going to laugh just at himself, you know, at his own perhaps foolishness, perhaps foolhardiness for trying to walk on water. And he, he's going to enjoy this, this, this small moment of failure, but a moment of peace. Again, just away from everything, away from the world, away from all of it. And he kind of just has like a, a tiny, tiny moment of realization where nothing matters. Like he's found this passion for trying to learn true intent. But at the same time, he's not worried if he doesn't like just it's just for a moment. He's just not worried if he doesn't get it. You know, he's not worried about plots from ethereals or trying to maintain some sort of relations with the group or, you know, trying to wrestle with his own demons. He's just, he just has this moment of clarity as he's dripping wet. Roll 2 d right, That is 69 and 31. It is then just a simple moment of joy. Perhaps a long lost emotion from Vamok's, you know, library. But... One that you find here is you're simply floating on your back in the ocean off this pier. Nothing extraordinary happens, at least, you know, that anyone else could see, but perhaps something inside. In the last couple of days that Vamak has there, he's going to continue to try to do things with true intent. This and that, sometimes it's a little bit smaller, sometimes a little bit bigger. It's nothing too, nothing too crazy. He doesn't try to walk on water again. But on the last night he is there, he is just sitting down on the beach. The sun's gone down. Uh, you know, he's made like a little fire that's crackling off to the side. And he is going to look up and he is going to try to use true intent one final time before leaving to be able to see so he can look up at the stars. Go for it. Come on, baby. 84 and 67. As you stare up at the nighttime sky on your final night here, knowing that your teacher will, or someone will return to fetch you in the morning, you look up at the stars, sitting at the edge of this pier, or wherever you deign to be, hoping, wishing, to see them. For you couldn't help but notice the gasps of your companions after their first nights here, where no firelight or lanterns or lampposts or city smog drifted into the night sky and clouded the millions of points of light that populate it, and how you've been dying to see that. And as you sit here and stare into that black oblivion, it remains dark. 
in his last moment of vulnerability that he is willing to allow himself to feel as he knows that his time alone, his time without any expectations, any projections, any ways of being that he feels he needs to be, before any of that comes back, right? He feels this one last moment of vulnerability. And he silently resigns himself and comes to the conclusion that such things are simply not for him. Come morning, Vamok awaits at the pier before the morning light has even come as a Kraley fetches you. Working your way back to the island, you have time with your thoughts. As your isolation comes to an end, you see Rolandir already ashore as your teacher disembarks to a separate island. Mick is brought in about the same time as you. The three of you have a moment to yourselves on the island before the rest return. Rolandir. Mick. Well, we all have a good vacation, I take it. I guess you could say that. Swam with the fishes. How about yourself? <laughs> oh, I uh, dug into myself and... And he holds up his hand that is just stained with all this <laughs> dirt and earth. And even his nub is like... You can tell that it's been used for some purpose to dig into, like, earth and whatnot. Well, I really connected with Mother Nature for quite some time, but I wouldn't say I necessarily had too groundbreaking of an experience with this whole true intent business. And what of you, Vamok? How was your time? And Vamok looks at Mick, then looks to Rolandir, and says, It was good. <laughs> 